This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Investor Mindset listeners, welcome back to another awesome episode. I just finished up a really fun interview with Scott Trench, the CEO and president of Bigger Pockets, and it was super fun. Some highlights that I was excited about that I think you guys are really going to enjoy was we got into Scott's wealth building strategy, really how he thinks about investing both in real estate, in his career, in stocks and other places, and how he's kind of set up his life in this way, which leads into the second point, his money mindset, this whole idea that the only way you are going to be able to get that financial freedom that you're looking for is to make smart choices about where your money is going to go, right? There's a lot of different strategies out there to get financially free. And Scott shares with us his and how it set him up to earn a lot and uh, to also begin his path towards financial freedom and kind of how he's gotten there along the way. It was a super fun episode. I hope you guys will listen to it through and through. And if you liked it, please do drop us a review. Go and join the uh, the Investor Mindset community on Facebook. Just head to theinvestormindset.com and you can get a link directly to the group. And you can also find out more information about the Investor Mindset Summit, which we are going to be holding, an all-online summit, which we're going to have over 15 speakers talking about this combination of real estate and mindset and about how important it is to have the right thoughts and beliefs in order to succeed both in business and in life. Right? It's the foundation that nearly every real estate investor or successful person I've ever talked to is the way that we think and the thoughts that we put out there is what creates the opportunity and the motivation and the drive for us to go and do good things and to continue to do them and to believe that we're worthy of them. So please make sure that you go and join us for that. Grab a ticket to the event. If you're not going to be able to be at the event, make sure you grab the recording so you can enjoy it on your own time. But join the conversation in the Facebook group. It's going to be a lot lot of fun, uh, a lot of really great content. We're going to be rolling out some more awesome, awesome uh, ways to continue to learn and grow your mindset, which we're going to be talking about in uh, coming episodes. So without further ado, let's jump into the show. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I'm excited. I have Scott Trench in the studio of the Bigger Pockets Money Show. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I am really jazzed about this interview. Scott is the president of Bigger Pockets, the world's largest online network of real estate investors. Everyone knows about Bigger Pockets. You know, they help ordinary Americans build wealth and achieve financial freedom through real estate investing. I've learned a ton from them. I definitely one of the first real estate podcasts I ever listened to is Bigger Pockets podcast. I'm super grateful. You also know Scott uh, as he is the author of the popular book uh, Set for Life. And as the co-host of the Bigger Pockets Money Show podcast as well. You ready to get into things, Scott? I am, yeah. Thanks for the great introduction. Well, with a track record like that, many people would be like, hey, this guy's already hit success. But why don't we start out by taking a look back? What events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? You know, um, I think I think that my my you know, I was raised in an upper middle class household in Maryland between DC and Baltimore. And what I think my parents really did a good job of was, you know, because of that 
upper middle class lifestyle and their dedication, I really had a lot of opportunity throughout my whole life to kind of pursue my interests. And I brought a highly competitive nature to all of those different types of things. So I was always a competitive, trying to do whatever I could, whether it was music or athletics or studies or anything like that. So I was able to kind of go through middle high school with an opportunity to just kind of pursue my passion with as little distraction as possible. When I went to college, however, I think that's kind of when I had more of this mindset around wealth building and mm-hmm. uh, a focus on investing kind of come into come into focus. So I went to Vanderbilt University and I was with a lot of relatively wealthy folks at that school that I was surrounded by that had kind of different concepts for money. I remember one kid said that his concept of money was his parents would fill up his bank account whenever it ran to his parents' secretary would fill up his bank account whenever it ran too low. And I remember, you know, oh, wow. While I had an upper middle class background, I never money was always an issue. It was we never had an abundance of it in, in terms of the sense like we had this mm-hmm. fancy house or we're driving around in these fancy cars or anything like that. But it was, you know, I had to work for for any cash that I wanted to spend. I had to, I had to go to you know every summer I was working manual labor, waiting tables, doing construction, those types of things to save money so I could hang out with this peer group that was in a different kind of maybe upbringing, a different echelon or whatever. So interesting. I don't know if that's if that's helpful to your kind of what's your background with money question, but that's that's kind of I guess what maybe what form. Well, it's always fascinating to see where people come from. From my experience, you know, you 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 come from an upper middle class family where you had all these opportunities to continue to work on yourself and grow and go after the things that you were really interested in. And uh, it sounds like I'm, I want to ask you about the highly competitive nature in a second here, but you know, then you go into this new environment. Where you're surrounded by a bunch of fairly wealthy rich kids, and they have a totally different view on money. I mean, what was that like stepping into a place where all of a sudden, you know, you're the person who probably lacks the financial backing the most out of anybody in comparison with you know where you had come up from before? Yeah, you know, I think I think the biggest how do I react to that? The biggest reaction I had was. You know, this isn't an intelligence question, right? Yeah. This isn't this isn't like there's not a, a difference in intelligence between me and these other folks or my parents and these other folks' parents or anything like that. Uh-huh. There's something else to this. There's a a game, there's rules that you have to play by mm-hmm. that I need to figure out and understand to some degree in order to to compete reasonably here. And how do I go about playing that game? So over the course of my career in college, because I kind of maybe came across that, I switched my majors to economics. I switched from pre-med to economics and I minored in finance and corporate strategy because I I figured mm-hmm. the answer is somewhere in those in those areas. And I began reading a couple of books towards the end of my senior year. I read a couple of books on investing and I, I think Rich Dad, Poor Dad and a couple of those other classics. Um, and then after I graduated, I went to Europe and blew my money. So I didn't really learn anything from that. Uh, and then I started my <laughs> job with with basically no money, three grand in the bank account at a uh, in a finance role at, at Dish Network, which was a TV provider. And within three months of that job at Dish Network, I kind of realized, hey, you know, I won the game. I got this degree. I got a job in finance. That was what I set out to do. However, the game here, if, you know, over the next twenty years, is to play for one promotion at a time, and eventually mm-hmm. graduate to being a vice president or director or whatever it is that you get down the line from there. Mm-hmm. And that was when it was when I realized that that was the best possible outcome of my career 
in that environment that I became interested in entrepreneurship, real estate investing, bigger pockets. I found a blog called Mr. Money Mustache, if your listeners have come across mm-hmm. that, about frugality and just this concept of financial independence through real estate investing. Yeah, well, what's so fascinating was you ran into the same challenge a lot of us run into. When we get into the corporate world, we feel like we've won the game. You know, I, I graduated, was a management consultant, had kind of the, the dream job for a business graduate, and I realized like, okay, well, I won the game, but I think I'm playing the wrong game, you know? And uh, I think you're really lucky that you had that opportunity to go and look and see that when you were in college, that it wasn't necessarily all about smarts. It was about people were playing a different game. And so you saw this other way of life that people were playing and, and you were inspired to kind of go down that path. Um, what has that path been for you today? What is it that you're focused on um, in your career and you know in your life as far as playing the new game? Yeah, so the, the you know the new game was not get the best job and get work for the next performance review, right? That was the old game that I was playing. The new game was how do I build private wealth and accumulate wealth so that I can become the owner, right? Because no matter how far up the chain you climb, you're always working for the next layer of management or eventually the owner uh, for that. Mm-hmm. And to me, the the answer lay at the end in the ownership of assets. So in, in order to kind of pursue that, at the time I was making like $48,000 a year, I cut my, spe- my expenses. I had no other option. I, I tried working, like driving Uber and, and moonlighting and all those other things. I might have made minimum wage, which tacked on a couple thousand bucks over the course of a year to my savings. Mm-hmm. But really it was, I just cut my expenses. I started saving. I, I lived, I, I shared an apartment with a roommate. I, drive, I, I still drive a Toyota Corolla. I've driven that for the last five years. I make most of my lunches most of the time. Um... And I just didn't really spend that much money except on like cheap light beer. I had just graduated college. So that was the, <laughs> where the money went, you know, and, and, and otherwise I just kind of socked it away. And my goal was to buy a duplex, a house hack, uh, which I completed mm-hmm. about a year after I started my, my working career. So I had saved up, I had about 3000 going in, I saved up about seventeen twenty thousand $20,000 in that first 12 months and bought a duplex here in Denver moved into half, rented out the other half. And that was how I got my start in real estate. And that duplex has proved to be, you know, one, Denver has appreciated pretty dramatically over the last couple of years. But more than that, I was able to stop paying rent and basically cash flow my my living expenses, um, which enabled me to accumulate capital at a much faster rate and perpetuate the next few investments. So that was what that so you made- I guess, looked like for me. <laughs> So you made a short-term sacrifice, which ended up, it sounds like it's become a lifestyle for you, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. But you made a short-term sacrifice to save money. And then all of a sudden, once you had that money invested in that duplex, all of a sudden, the amount that you could save every month had dramatically increased. That's right. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, I, I, think, I think more than that, more than just making a short-term sacrifice, there was four areas of finance. And I focused all out on improving my situation in all four of those areas. Mm-hmm. So and what are those? One, I spent very little. That was the sacrifice part, right? Did not, you know, I didn't live where I could have lived, didn't drive what I could have driven, didn't eat out all the time, you know, didn't sacrifice a light beer, but you know, had had mm-hmm. a lot of control over my expenses. Two, on the income front, I quickly realized that as a financial analyst, my career track was going to go financial analyst one, financial analyst two, senior financial analyst, finance manager, senior finance manager, finance director, director of finance, VP, you know, whatever. That was it. Mm -hmm. And it was like, every Mm -hmm. two years, you get that promotion and that 
higher than cost of living raise. I needed another way to give myself more career potential. And so that's why I left that job after that first year as well and joined a tiny startup called Bigger Pockets as the third employee. Right. The third mm. thing I did is I invested my money very aggressively. So I invested in that house hack, so which was like a 95% leverage. I put down 5%, right, with with mm-hmm. all of my life savings and leveraged mm-hmm. myself to the hilt on this tiny little duplex, my first investment. And then the fourth mm-hmm. area that you can go in is you can create assets. Mm-hmm. And I at this entire time, this entire year, I was trying to create an asset, a business on the side. You know, sometimes that was mm-hmm. tutoring. Sometimes that I started a a punny T-shirt business that failed. I started uh, <laughs> a T-shirt that was going to sell, or not a T-shirt, a, a business that was going to sell winter gloves for driving. It was a ridiculous idea, um, but I was trying. Mm-hmm. This is the point mm-hmm. on a very regular, periodic basis to get some sort of additional asset off the ground. So it was that all-out approach that I applied to this this uh, pursuit of financial independence and accumulating wealth so that I could be the owner one day. So fire off those four again. That was spend income. Less. Yeah, spend, spend less, less, earn more, invest aggressively, or create assets. All right. Well, that seems like a pretty good mindset for money, and clearly it sets you up well. Mm-hmm. Um, when somebody is kind of, they want to follow in your footsteps, how should they go about doing this? Because sometimes it feels like, okay, well, that seems really simple, but how do I just spend less? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is you analyze your, your expenditures. So, you know, my favorite my favorite example to use is the median American household because the Bureau of Labor Statistics kindly puts a pie chart together, or not a I, I make a pie chart, but they've got the data and you can easily make a pie chart out of it of like where does American household spending go? And it goes into three categories are, you know, two thirds of American household spending housing, transportation, and food. The other mm-hmm. third is your health insurance, your you know entertainment budget, your clothing, your miscellaneous. All the all the rest of the junk goes in the last third. Yet all the attention that people when they talk about saving money is spent on that last third. That is kind of those variable expenses. But if you can eliminate mm-hmm. your housing and transportation costs or set them at a mm-hmm. really low bar, for example, mm-hmm. by house hacking and driving a Toyota Corolla and mm-hmm. you know make most of your meals most of the time it's very easy to get to a 50% savings rate so that's i think mm-hmm. the first area of focus for most people because it's so easy you know it's it, if you have control it's so easy when you're 23 and just graduated mm-hmm. college you know if you're 23 yeah. and just graduated college there's no excuse for why you can't get to that 50% savings rate if you're able to earn anywhere close to a median income in this country but let's say you're not 23 and you're 40 mm-hmm. and you got the family it really it sounds like it comes down to just making some of those hard choices and saying hey i don't need this i don't need that maybe i need to sell this car that i bought a few years ago that i'm still paying big payments on maybe i've got to you know go out and instead of living in the 2000 square foot house i'm going to go buy a duplex and i'm living 1000 square feet of it and you know rent out the rest or something like that. I think that's exactly right. I think you got to analyze your spending, track everything and see where is my money really flowing and where can I actually make a big difference? Because this this game before we even get to the investing discussion, in order to achieve mm-hmm. build wealth and achieve financial freedom, you really it really first and foremost depends on your savings rate as a percentage of your after-tax take-home pay. And if you can get that to a 50% or greater level, you're on the fast track to financial freedom. If you, you know, put it in a savings account and earn 2%, it's the, it's that rate of investment returns really only matters when you're playing with larger dollars as a percentage of your your annual spending, you know, 10, 20 times. So your spending. The, 
This is so important, and I feel like everybody knows it, but let's just underline it again and again and again. At the end of the day, you are in control of how much money you keep because you're in control of how much money you spend. That's right. Right? So you can't invest money you don't have. And even though we all hear about these different strategies of investing with no money or low money down, it's 100% doable. I've done it. But it's very risky because then all of a sudden you're taking on all this leverage. At the end of the day, it's not your money until you sell the asset and then reap the reward of that. But that whole time you're dealing with all this anxiety and fear about what could happen or what could go wrong. And frankly, things do go wrong. You know, for all those people who've gone in and flipped 10 or 20 or 30 houses, at least one of them was a screw up along the way where it didn't exactly work out the way you wanted to. And so by being smart and having this money mindset of I'm going to save first so that I can make smart choices with my money second, I think is really key. Yeah, I, I think that that's I think that's the, the place to start. And to answer your question for the, the 40-year-old person with the family, you know, it's just going to be a little harder. You're not going to be able to... Mm-hmm. Live in a dumpy half duplex, you know, and fix it up yourself, and, and do that. It, that may not be a choice that your fa- that's best for your family. So uh-huh. maybe this is an unpop- unpopular opinion, but I think the stakes are very high for folks to get started immediately on this out of college or out of high school if they can, and, and get that financial foundation and base set as early in life as possible because it just makes it gives you that much more of an advantage in going into the the later years. So even if you've made the choice early on that maybe wasn't the right choice and now you're recognizing it. You just have to choose, I'm going to do this differently. And today's the day I'm going to start and I'm going to start whittling it away until I'm at a point where you know, I'm able to save a big chunk of my money. That's right. I definitely can appreciate that. Yeah, for me it was buy a Corolla. But for that person, it might be when when my Lexus gets old, then I'll I'll buy another, then I'll buy a Corolla, right? Like So it's almost Uh like a phasing in approach of cutting these costs over time. They may take a few years to get to look, to really make that big dent because you can't overnight them um, or what or like when we, next time we move we'll move to a lower cost living area relative to where we currently live and that may not that yep. may be a choice that takes years to manifest itself rather than months for example that makes sense so you have to be able to be patient if you've already wound yourself up into some of these decisions that's right so so what are some of the biggest challenges that you face in your life today. You know, obviously you're you've gone down this path, you're working at bigger pockets, you've kind of figured out for yourself this process, this methodology for how I'm going to save money and the lifestyle I'm going to live. What are some of the biggest challenges that you face now for you to go to whatever that next level is for you? Yeah, so you know, it's interesting because over the last 5 years, you know, I've created a good financial and investment situation, right? I've got a couple of properties here in Denver. Uh, I I invest heavily in index funds. Um, I've written mm-hmm. a book, which you can consider as an investment, um, and mm-hmm. I'm the CEO and president of Bigger Pockets. So my goals have kind of shifted away from you know as aggressively as possible building my real estate portfolio. I still invest in real estate very regularly, mm-hmm. but I, you know, my main focus is on the mission of this business, right? Which is mm-hmm. to create a million millionaires, help a million ordinary middle to upper middle class Americans achieve a million dollars in net worth through cumulative cash flow and equity. And rental property investments, mm. and so my focus is kind of generally speaking more and more on that. And how do we, you know, in order to have a goal like that, you have to track it. So that's really where my focus currently is in terms of my my most acute energies are going into that. 
So let's unpack that for the listeners for a second, because I think that you just laid out a vision that I can visualize, I can see, I can emotionally connect to. And if people can make their goals and their missions that clear, I, I, you want to make a million millionaires in your, in your business and everything that you're going to do is going to go into that, that mission. And it's something that, man, the fulfillment, the, there's obviously got to be money to be made doing that, but then you're really helping people go and live a better life. I just love that so much. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like what gets me up in the morning every day is, you know, we're, we're, this is not life saving, right? This is, I'm not a doctor, you know, fixing that, but, but I do think it's life changing. And I think that if you can help people achieve financial freedom through the work you're doing as well, right? Love you. Like it's the same, we have the same mission, right? Then you're helping them live up to their potential in a way that they may not have otherwise realized without the passive income and wealth and flexibility that a strong financial position affords to people. And those are the people, you know, who have, a slightly that much better odds of going out and starting a business that changes the world or a nonprofit or running for office, right? Maybe future politicians are some of these folks who are going to be who are, who are achieving financial freedom. You know, those that's the kind of work that I think has has far-reaching impact. And that's why I'm so passionate about this. And I think, you know, to, to maybe some of the discussion here, I think real estate is is one very effective tool in that as part of that portfolio that sustains financial freedom for a huge bucket of that middle to upper middle class American, you know, that, that, the population that's in that bucket. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So something else that you said that I thought was really important to to kind of talk a little bit more about. You mentioned that you you have it. You're not investing in as many new real estate deals as before, and you're investing in index funds, which to me is a very easy, safe way to invest in the market. Um, I'd love to hear your thought on that. But you're really focused on investing in one thing. The business, the business that you're running, you want to grow it. Mm-hmm. And I imagine the outcome of that is going to change your financial future. If you're able to meet this goal, it's going to end up putting you in a really good financial place in the long run. Well, let me let me let me unpack what you just said there a little bit and and clarify a couple of things. So I am still investing in real estate and I am still investing in index funds. And I've invested in both of those for the entirety of my career and probably, uh-huh. and I hope to continue doing so. For the entirety of yeah. my career, I think long term, most of the most of the money I invest will be in real estate and stocks. Maybe, uh-huh. maybe, maybe upwards of ninety percent of the money I invest will be in those two things. And my uh-huh. approach to real estate investing is to periodically purchase small multifamily or single family rental properties. Uh, and I may move into commercial one day if I have the good fortune of needing to invest larger dollar amounts in order to. Maintain material returns relative to the size of my portfolio. Basically, if uh-huh. my my plan works, then I'll need to invest more larger mm-hmm. chunks of money, and the only way to reasonably do that might be a commercial one day. But I, I do that basically once every twelve to eighteen months. I look for a long term, high appreciating market like Denver, Colorado, and I look for enough cash flow to sustain my investment without me having to contribute more capital to do capex or operating repairs or anything like that. And then anything that's uh-huh. left over from that. I then put all of that into index funds. Um, so those are the mm. two ways that I kind of manage most of the cash inflows that I get in excess of what I need to fund my lifestyle. Um, that, that makes sense. So the money that you actually get from the real estate investments or the money that you've been saving up all for that 12 to 18 months to put into a new real estate investment purchase, anything that's left over, you're going to dump into the market, into index funds that are easy for you to move around 
if needed, if you wanted to say go buy something else in eighteen months. That's exactly right. And, and and I you know if I were to spot an opportunity, I might sell my index funds and go deploy that. Yes, but but typically I know what I'm going to be in a year from now. Generally speaking, from my cash flow perspective, and so I'll be gradually dollar cost averaging index funds and building up my fund to invest in real estate at the same time. So that's kind of. We're getting into the weeds now with that, but that's that's my how I'm how I've been applying my philosophy. No, but it's good to think about. It's good to think about here, Scott, because mm-hmm. what we hear from a lot of our, uh, our our guests are these real estate investors who are th- their entire business is running a real estate investment company, mm-hmm. where everything that they have they're putting into real estate. They're not really doing a great job of moving, uh, having their money in different buckets, and I think. The idea of asset allocation is so important. And so you've set up a model where you can still have the core of your investment going into real estate, but you're still going to be placing it into another place that's a little bit liquid that you can move it around while having a full-time job and recognizing that I don't have to make real estate my whole life, even if you happen to work for the largest real estate networking company. That's right. I am a real estate investor, not a real estate businessman, right? Like I don't, Mm -hmm. I'm not buying properties and doing major rehabs and changing all these you know changing the equity profile of the assets that I purchase dramatically in a short period of time in order to drive returns I buy I operate I hold yep and I and I play the long term averages in that in, in that respect and that gives me I think a slightly more passive business than some other investors. Every once in a while, like this weekend, I had to go over and spend a couple two hours doing yard work because my my lawn guy didn't do what I what I was hoping to get done. But but that's you know that's relatively passive. I'm not doing that every month. Mm-hmm. You know, most months yeah. I, I sit back and the properties perform. Yeah, that makes that makes that makes so much sense. And it's just, it's a great model to really for somebody else to be able to follow in your footsteps if that's the kind of lifestyle they want to build. They can look at you and say, hey, if I want to accelerate my path to retirement while also working in a job I love, then this is this is the path that I could go to do that. I think I think that real estate investing along these lines, putting down 25%, leveraging with a 30-year note, self-operating, making sure that I, I don't have to commit more capital, playing that long-term appreciation, and again, just operating reasonably is a great way to make to create a million, million and a half dollars in net worth over a 10-year period. It's not a, mm-hmm. I'm going to get rich tomorrow, the way that you might hear some of the other folks talking about on the Bigger Pockets podcast or other guests on your show here. It's you know where, hey, I'm going to buy 100 deals this year and flip them and make a huge amount of profit and, and do add a ton of you know value through rehabs. But it is a great way to do it for someone who's in that upper middle class um, bracket, income bracket, that's looking to invest semi-passively. And that's the approach and philosophy that I, I take bring to the table with this. I mean, the truth is about it, Scott, it's not sexy, but it makes sense. It's logical and it's stable. And that is something that I think people should hold on to. If that's something that they're looking for, some certainty in their life, this could be a model that, uh, that you run with. Yeah, and, and you only do this, by the way, if you expect returns in excess of what you can get in the market, in the stock market, right? Uh-huh. Because it is more work doing this, what I'm talking about, than... Investing in passive index funds is not as much work as building a huge real estate business from scratch, but it is it is still more work. So I need to underwrite my deals such that I think I'm going to get a fifteen to seventeen percent IRR over the long term with my uh-huh. uh, my financing and all the other stuff. 
That's definitely that is definitely the key to this model working. So talk to me a little bit. You know, you are the CEO and president of Bigger Pockets. Um, I'm really curious, working in such a really great community, what have you learned and what is your philosophy on self-education and networking? Because I feel like that organization is that's the core of of bigger pockets is really bringing amazing people together. I mean what 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 this is 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 if you've if you've listened to a lot of real estate content, read a couple books, been on bigger pockets whatever, you kind of realize that there's no one right way to do this, right? I got strong mm-hmm. opinions about my approach which I I've mm-hmm. already voiced and why I think that's a great one for me, but other people are canon can and have been succeeding in using a, a variety of different things, you know, some people say condos are not are, are a terrible way to invest, and then yet we've had a bunch of people on the show who have made a lot of money investing in condos, right? You can make you can make money any which way in this business, and there's no right or wrong way. What I think matters is that self education component that you discussed, but getting that from a wide variety of perspectives, as wide a variety as you possibly can. When you have two people who strongly disagree, who are both right. That's when I think real learning takes place and when confidence is generated. You know, if you if you can hear that and then this guy's right and this guy's right and they're both smart, but this approach is better for me, that's when I think confidence comes around and you can really begin taking the action that you need to succeed in this business. You've got to be able to listen to yourself and make those own decisions because mm-hmm. if you just listen to everyone else, you might end up with not really what's best for you, but what was best for them. That's right. So tell me, Scott. How would you define success and what is success to you? You know, I think for right now, for, for me, in, in terms of defining success, it's moving as close, as far as possible, as rapidly as possible towards that vision that I described earlier, right? It's how quickly and how effectively can, and, and how sta- with, at the lowest, at a reasonable risk profile, can we help our community? Generate that trillion dollars in wealth that that those million millionaires and and you know everything is in the context of that. So what does good look like? I don't know. I'm still trying to collect enough data to make sure because right now we've got about six billion dollars in transacted real estate that our users have put together and and posted to our platform. I think that's a very conservative estimate of the total volume that they've actually done because not everyone has posted their deals. So good is mm-hmm. collecting the, as more data so we can get a good estimate for what's actually going on right now. And establishing <laughs> that baseline, <laughs> so we can tell if we're getting better and better at helping our users transact on real estate. So I don't know. If this but what is, but what is success for you personally, like on a personal basis? Uh, success is is advancing that mission, um, reaching mm-hmm. as many people as possible with content related to personal finance and real estate investing that I can. So, for example, the amount of listens that our Bigger Pockets Money podcast gets, right? The amount of time someone reads uh-huh. a book or. Uh, reads a blog article or a video, watches a video uh, that I've posted, or comes in contact with anything bigger pockets related. So it's that kind of reach perspective, and then that qualitative perspective. Do people like what they're hearing? Is it helping advance their interests and and go from there? And do you feel like you've hit success under your definition? Yeah, I feel I feel it. Like, I feel like I have been afforded an incredible opportunity that is is not really even once in a lifetime. You know, not. Many lifetimes can go by and people might not find themselves in the, the, the situation of opportunity that I think I find myself in uh, at this point in my life. And so I think that there's a, a huge component of luck and being in, in the right place and the right time to join as a third team member here and find myself in the position of CEO and president of Bigger Pockets. So I think that you can say that you're that's a success to be here, but the, the answer is that 
success needs to be measured in the context of that opportunity. Am I making the most of this situation? Um, and so I think the answer is no, I have a lot more work to do in order to be successful, given the set of circumstances that I find myself in. Yeah, so what you're saying is you're you're on your way to success, but because you have such an awesome, amazing once-in-a-lifetime or beyond-a-lifetime opportunity, you've got to take advantage of it more. I can definitely appreciate that. That's the achiever inside of you, Scott, speaking up and saying, hey, you could do a little bit more with this. Yeah, absolutely. that's exactly right. I think, I think that's it's, it's the last part there. You can do a little bit more than this. That's, that's, I think, the key that I'm always kind of thinking to myself in my mind is, is yes, a lot of great things have, have happened and, I found, and there's a really good situation, but how, far, how much farther can I, can I go and how much, far, how much more can I, can I do here? So what are some of your keystone habits, the things that you do on a daily or weekly basis that help you lead to living a good life? Sure. So the, the uh, you know, besides basically taking care of myself, eating healthy, exercising, you know, uh, making sure that my my now fiance, I recently got engaged uh, two weeks ago. Congratulations! Um, making sure that 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 I'm I'm treating her perfectly, uh, mm-hmm. and and we have a great home life and those kinds of things. It, in terms of my work and career, it's goal setting. So I have a system of setting of of setting and measuring and progressing towards my goals that I've used every day, not every day, but almost every day for the last five six years, um, and it's evolved over time. But basically, I'll write a goal. Uh, I'll, I'll typically have three at a time, and I'll take daily action towards those goals in some format. I used to make my own little daily log. Now um, we actually just released Bigger Pockets, a ninety-day intention journal. Um, sorry if that's too much of a plug there, but but I use I use this journal to to set my goals, track them, and every single day I'm like, did I move towards my top three goals today? If not, why not? And how do I do better tomorrow? Make up the ground I lost today and get back on track. So I'll often find myself veering off course and starting a new project that wasn't a goal I intentionally set out, but this keeps me always coming back on track to what I said I was going to do. Um, and, and I think that's really the big secret. I've got four years of journals that I've used in various forms or one other piled in my desk right in front of me, right, right behind this, on the other side of the screen. I've got stacks and stacks of printed out pieces of paper that show my, again, four or five years worth of daily logs Hey, here's mm-hmm. what I did today. Here's what my goal was. Here's the people I was going to reach out to. Here's what I'm grateful for. Here's uh, the top three things, actions I needed to take. And here's a, little, a recording of the, how I spent my time that day. And that, I think, is the number one key to uh, me kind of making progress against most of my goals here. Yeah, so you are actually setting a goal mm-hmm. and then you are tracking yourself on the stuff that you do every day towards success in that goal. Yes, and this is a five-minute exercise that I've described here. But that five-minute exercise prevents me from spending more than one day, really ever, off task and off off course from where I'm where I've set out to go. So smart, so smart, guys. I hope everyone will rewind and apply this in their life, or go check out the Bigger Pockets Intention Journal. We'll we'll throw a link to that in the show notes as well. So we've made it to the growth rapid fire round, where the questions are quick, but the answers don't need to be. What's a book that's impacted your life the most, or one you're excited about right now? Of course, other than your own. <laughs> um, you know, one book that I'm I'm excited about right now is called Super Thinking, um, and this is a, a brand new one. It's the book. It's a book of mental models, and if you've ever read anything by Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett, mm. you know, in Charlie Munger in particular, he likes to apply this concept of mental models. Like, for example, critical mass. 
right? Everyone's familiar with this this mental model, probably. You know, hey, nothing happens. You know, I can't break through until you know, or or achieve this big result until I've reached a small critical mass, and then from there, it's easy. It's smooth sailing once I get to the other side of that. Well, there's hundreds or thousands of these mental models, and the more you can have in your mind to bring to bear on various situations, the better off you'll be. So, this is one of my the best books I've read in a long time. Um, and, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it right now. Another great book, um, you know, that had a big impact on my life was how to win friends and influence people, right? Mm. Super classic. But if you just kind of go back and revisit that maybe once a year, once every other year, I think it'll make a dramatic difference in your ability to kind of connect with other people and kind of just put them first. That is, uh, that's some very key wisdom. I mean, that book was written a long, long time ago and it's still on the top of everyone's list because, you know, people are life, connections are life, and that's what it all comes down to. So on a similar note, from an inspiration perspective, who are some of your mentors and how do you look at the process of finding a great mentor or mentors in your life? Sure. So I'll, I'll list, um, you know, two of my best mentors have been Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, and Josh Dorkin, founder of Bigger Pockets. Um, uh-huh. Another couple of, I'll mention another mentor named Ian Brown, who's a local real estate investor here in Denver. And the way I kind of came about meeting these people was I became very interested in the subject. I was very interested in real estate investing and entrepreneurship and those types of things generally. And every time I met someone who was interested in the same subject, I would make sure to talk to them and invite them out to lunch. So the way I Mm. met these people was kind of very roundabout. I met somebody who hosted an entrepreneurship meetup. I talked to him about investing. He eventually invited me. It was at seven o'clock in the morning on Thursdays. I do not like getting up early, but I went up and got up and went to this meetup. I had no business being there. I was 23 years old working as a financial analyst, and these are all business owners. So I took every single one out to lunch. And in the course of doing Mm -hmm. that, I met Ian. Ian happened to work in the same space as Josh Dorkin, who founded Bigger Pockets. When I saw that, mm-hmm. I would introduce myself to Josh. And I said, Josh, I'd like to take you out a lunch and learn from you. And so my my net, my thing was here is how do I just kind of get to know these people, see if there's a way to add value, but have a really good quality discussion with them because I've self-educated to such an extent before meeting them. Uh, and that kind of that was kind of the path that led to my job here at Bigger Pockets in the first place, in addition to a lot of the uh help getting started in investing in real estate as well. What a wonderful way to build some great relationships and find some people to learn from. I definitely uh, I can appreciate that. So from a purpose perspective, in closing, what drives you to live your best life every day? Um, I think I, what drives me to live my best life every day? You know, I, I just like to come into every single day with enthusiasm, energy, a purpose, a mission, you know, a goal. It's as simple as that. It started off with, I just want to be financially free and be the boss, be the owner. And it's evolved to where I've, I feel like I'm past that goal. And so now it's about what's the next goal. The goal is helping as many people as possible become financially free. And I don't know, that's, that's what I think gets me up and going every day nowadays is, is that, that mission, that goal, and enjoying life as it comes alongside that. What, what a great mission and what a great show. So much fun diving in deep with you. I wish we had another hour or two that we could because I feel like I'm learning so much from you. But uh, where can people find out more about you or get in touch? You can find me at biggerpockets.com um, or you can email me at scott at biggerpockets.com. So pretty easy. Awesome. Yeah. We will include links to that in the show notes and definitely make sure you go and check out Set for Life, um, an incredible book on money and this mindset that uh, Mr. Scott Trench is teaching us and check out the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. So thank you so much, Scott, and look forward to the next time we get to hang out. All right. Well, thank you, Stephen. Really enjoyed it. 
Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.